Hello and welcome to ASTCT Talks, the official podcast of the American Society for Transplantation and Cellular Therapy. We chat with industry leaders from all areas of the blood and marrow transplantation and cellular therapy field, including doctors, physician assistants, pharmacists, nurses, administrators, social workers, and more. We hope you enjoy today's episode. Thank you all for joining us today for this next uh, conversation on ASTCT Talks. Today, we're going to be having a look at CAR-T survivorship, um, looking at monitoring parameters and implementation of a CAR-T survivorship program. And we wanted to take a moment to thank uh, Janssen Oncology and Legend Biotech for their support of this episode today. My name is Corey Edgar. I am a survivorship PA at Advent Health Orlando's Bone Marrow Transplant Program in Orlando, Florida. And I'm joined here with Sarah Fitzmaurice, um, a nurse practitioner um, at the University of Kansas uh, Cancer Center. She helps head the survivorship program there. Um, and Sarah, would you like to take a moment to introduce yourself? Yes, hello. Thank you for having me today. It's uh, a pleasure to be here and to talk about CAR-T and survivorship. It's something that I'm definitely passionate about, so I'm looking forward to our discussion. Um, I've worked at the KU Cancer Center with the BMT and Cellular Therapy Program for the last 10 years. Uh, I started out inpatient and I worked inpatient BMT for the first few years of my career, even before CAR-T. Um, I then cross-trained uh, outpatient um, and then went to the, our apheresis department for several years before I joined the survivorship team. So when I was presented the opportunity opportunity to work with our survivorship team. It just felt full circle to me to join the survivorship team since I um, have had the opportunity to see the inpatient side of things, the outpatient side of things, the apheresis side of things where the patients are collecting for their CAR T cells. Um, so it just made sense for me to join the survivorship team um, because that was such an area that I knew there was a need for our patients. Um, the program was young when I started and it's uh, it's been an honor to be able to continue to build that. Excellent. Sounds like you're doing some wonderful work there in the field of survivorship. And just so that we're all on the same page about our conversation today, just wanted to make sure that we had a, a groundwork of what we mean when we're addressing survivorship. And so there's several different definitions of survivorship um, out there in the literature. And I think in BMT, we have a unique spin on it. But the American Cancer Society, the uh, Committee on Cancer uses various definitions that basically says from the time of a patient's cancer diagnosis through the duration of their life, would be they would be defined as a cancer survivor. Now, we all have a unique spin on it in uh, the transplant and cellular therapy realm because we recognize that patients are moving through different phases of their treatment journeys. So Sarah, at the University of Kansas, what would be your definition of survivorship and when does your team uh, begin to care for patients? Great question. Um, you know, I tend to align with, with the definition you just described in general um, speaking, but as far, a lot of the patients that come to us maybe have had been diagnosed somewhere else. Um, so their survivorship care may have begun or may not have begun. So we oftentimes are the first uh, introduction to their survivorship care. Um, and at KU, wasn't really any guidelines for CAR-T survivorship when CAR-T first started. Um, so we developed CAR-T specific templates and um, timelines for our patients. Uh, so the first time a patient will meet with us is their end of, we've taken the end of treatment visit and have 
made it specific for CAR-T because there's some important monitoring specific uh, for CAR-T afterwards, including late effects, uh, what follow-up's gonna look like. So the patient will you know, have their CAR-T treatment and they will have all of their visits with their team. They'll have their around 30-day workup. And our end of treatment is after they've had their results visit. Um, so their team will discuss their disease management. Um, and then we are their last visit before they go to their primary oncologist, for example. So we uh, act and use that visit as a bridge to their local oncologists. Um, and we have found that that's been really effective um, on improving just education, improving patient care, understanding of you know what needs to be monitored post CAR-T. Uh, so that's their initial visit. They may come back to the CAR-T clinic um, you know, for day 60 if they uh, to see their team. And then they'll come back for their milestones for their 100 days, their six months, and then their annuals visit. Their first uh, survivorship visit that we coined their survivorship visit is at one year. So that end of treatment visit we use as kind of like an introduction to survivorship. And then we go over specific things we want for monitoring, things to be looking out for, things we want their oncologist to be monitoring, what follow-up, what the clinic's going to look like, and then tell them about survivorship and that um, they'll have their first visit at one year. So they kind of have been explained what that visit is. Um, when I first joined survivorship and patients were getting assigned these, these visit types, they would say, well, what is survivorship? So we've learned that education is a super important part of survivorship, and it's important that we educate the patients early on what survivorship care is. That's excellent, Sarah. Um, thank you so much just for giving us a, a framework of how this works at your center. And I think you hit on a couple of huge points in that introduction that I wanted to unpack a little bit. So first and foremost, you mentioned that CAR-T survivorship is this newer entity in the survivorship realm. For those of us who have been in survivorship uh, care of transplant patients, we know that this has been a field of research for many decades since transplant you know, entered the field. What we know about CAR-T survivorship is much less. And, you know, CAR-T has really been only approved treatment for the last decade or so. And so mm -hmm. we're really just beginning to learn about CAR-T survivorship in particular. So how have you and your team at KU um, gone about developing these protocols? Is it, you know, expert opinion? Do you have literature that you're using to help establish that? Yeah, definitely. And we've looked at other centers because when CAR-T first came out, we weren't sure how frequently to check immune system markers, right? You know, we we were checking all kinds of labs that in the beginning that uh, we aren't continuing to check now because we've learned more, right? Like coagulation and things like that early on, um, monitoring the CRS labs and things like that. And we've changed and have learned how to monitor that appropriately. And as CAR-T has been around longer, we've learned about the prolonged cytopenias that can occur. We've learned about specific monitoring parameters. Uh, so our center just came up with what we felt was most appropriate, and we monitor CD4, CD19, and IgG levels. Monthly, we do it with their day 30 workup, day 60, and then their day 90, and further on if we need to. Um, we also developed, you know, 
uh, monitoring follow-up so that when they go to their primary oncologist, they know that we want them to have at least weekly labs drawn or more frequently if necessary. And then we have parameters. So if their IgG is low um, to infuse of less than 400, even if no infection, for example, um, we have parameters to give GCSF, if the absolute neutrophil count is less than 1,000. Um, and then, you know, continuing anti-infective medications until CD4 is over 200, for example. So these are all kind of parameters that we've established at our center. Perfect. That's really great. And I think you're hitting on an important piece of survivorship care, and it's this shared approach. You're talking about balancing their care between the primary um, transplant or immunotherapy physician and team, balancing it with their local oncologist, primary care. And so I think that's a critical component of survivorship. And you're you're mentioning some specific recommendations. So maybe if you're okay with it, can we take a moment to kind of walk through some of those? You've hinted on some of them already, especially yeah. regarding cytopenias and immune reconstitution. But just so that we're all on the same page of kind of where your recommendations stand and um, how you're balancing this with your referring doc. So let's just kind of walk through some of those. So you mentioned cytopenias and you mentioned weekly labs and some supportive care if those labs are still looking abnormal, which, as you also mentioned, can happen for a prolonged period of time after CAR-T. So you mentioned maybe some growth factor support and IVIG if there's a lack of B-cell reconstitution. Is that mm -hmm. correct? Correct. Yes. We check these at day with their day 30 workup. So at their visit with us at end of treatment, uh, those labs will be resulted. And if any of the patients are deficient and need to be set up with their local oncologist, for example, if they're out of town or not at our center where, where they'll be transferring their care to, then we make sure that gets coordinated. So that's one piece that we've realized is super important to follow up on and making sure that the, the team that will be taking care of them after their CAR-T treatment is comfortable and understanding of what needs to be monitored and, and et cetera. Okay, perfect. And then what about uh, infectious disease prophylaxis? What are your recommendations at your center uh, that you share with your referring teams? Yes, so we have patients, you know, on PJP prophylaxis, um, Bactrim, Dapsone, Atovaquone or Pentam based on uh, allergies and et cetera. <laughs> and then for antiviral, acyclovir is our primary antiviral to prevent viral infections. Okay. Okay. Do you, in, at your center, do you incorporate CD4 monitoring in any of these uh, prophylaxis protocols or is it based off of a time point? What's your approach? Yes, we check monthly CD4 from day 30 um, until their CD4 count is robustly over 200. Perfect. And at what point are you guys recommending vaccinations? Are we, we're pretty comfortable with this post-transplant, you know, auto and allo transplants. Uh, what's your approach post-CAR-T? So post-CAR-T, and particularly doing, during the flu season, uh, which we're in right now, we'll give them the flu vaccine prior to them going back to their primary oncologist. So around day 30, we'll give them their flu vaccine. And then uh, their 100-day visit is their milestone visit back with their CAR-T team. And uh, that's when we recommend giving the COVID vaccine. And then the baby shots will start at six months. So the baby shot vaccine series is 6, 8, 10, 12, and 24 months. Okay. 
And where do the live vaccines fit into that? I know that's always a, a topic of debate at my center, yes. survivorship. Where does that work in for you guys? So, you know, MMR, we typically will give at 24 months um, if their CD4 is over 200. Okay, perfect. And if you guys had any conversations about the new uh, vaccines that are coming out uh, with recommendations for non-immunocompromised, have you had those discussions yet? Or is that kind of a part of your evolving... Yes, we have had those discussions and I can't share because they're not definitive at this moment, but um, I believe we will be adopting the RSV vaccines into our our, um, immunization schedule at some point. We don't have it at our center yet either, So, um, but it is something that we're looking at and talking about. Perfect. I, I think for me, that's one of the hardest pieces of survivorship is trying to figure out how do we incorporate these known uh, beneficial interventions in ever-evolving population, right? And so I think you're on to the point of it's constant conversations with the treatment team, with uh, supervising physicians and um, the entire team, ID specialists, et cetera. Um, Most certainly. Most certainly. It's definitely multidisciplinary and a team-based approach. And we're lucky that, you know, the survivorship clinic Um, with the BMT and cellular therapy group. We work closely with all of the primary transplant and cellular therapy doctors and their teams. So we we have constant communication with them um, when things come up with the patients, which is really great. Okay, so let's take a moment and and kind of keep moving forward. So we know that early post-transplant um, neurotoxicity is a huge component and a huge risk that we are constantly monitoring for when it comes to adverse reactions um, from these immunotherapies from CAR-T. How does this play into your survivorship recommendations as you're monitoring in the first year um, before they meet with you in your survivorship program at one year? Yes, most certainly. Uh, so we have, you know, I don't think I've gotten too far into on um, the template that we give them at our end of treatment visit, but we do have a template and there's a specific se- section on neurological toxicity. So we definitely want them to know, especially within that first 60 day period that we don't recommend them driving a car, operating heavy machinery, just because there is that, you know, small percentage, that risk that there could still be um, CRS potentially, um, but also cognitive changes or long-term effects, late effects can occur just cognitively with patients. And so letting them know, we want um, them to monitor for any weakness, confusion, coordination problems, any concerning symptoms that are, you know, beyond what they're currently experiencing um, so that we can evaluate appropriately. Excellent. And when you're talking about these uh, monitoring parameters, are you giving treatment recommendations or ideas or are these solely just screening um, and helping to educate and inform the referring oncologist and primary care team? As far as the neurological specific? Yeah. Yeah. So these are, it's mostly um, more so education and informing the patient and their local or primary oncology provider, because we found um, one of the biggest issues and reasons why we created this template for end of treatment is that um, earlier in CAR-T treatment, CAR-T was so new, we had many local providers that were uncomfortable and not sure what to be monitoring for um, with patients post-CAR-T, and they wanted to make sure they were taking good care of the patients and knew what to be looking out for. Now, of course, as CAR-T's been out um, for a longer period now, we are getting um, more local oncologists a lot more comfortable, but there are still even one recently this year, I had one that reached out to say, this is my first CAR-T patient. Thank you so much for sending me this 
this care plan because I, I was really worried about what to be looking out for. So, you know, this care plan has our recommendation on the frequency of the labs. It has the interventions for replacements. It has anti-infective and infection control recommendations. It has the immunization schedule. It talks about the neurological toxicities, um, dietary restrictions, um, traveling, travel um, recommendations, I guess, um, spending time with children, living with pets, plants, um, exercise, sun exposure, uh, fatigue, depression, memory and concentration, post-treatment, um, returning to work, school or driving. We talk about all of those unique scenarios. Um, and then what long-term follow-up is going to look like at our clinic. That's excellent. I love that you guys are doing that at KU. It's a it's a huge piece of the survivorship care continuum is that we serve as that liaison, right? We're empowering mm -hmm. patients to know what to expect and even to just be on the lookout for things. We're helping to educate and empower the primary care team, the primary oncology team, uh, recognizing that we're, we're kind of in this nice middle place where we can help coordinate care and communicate. And you mentioned the multidisciplinary piece of survivorship. By definition, survivorship care is multidisciplinary. And it's so critical. So I love that you guys are coming up with some tools to make this actionable for your patients and for your referring teams. It, it helps them understand the post-transplant and post-CAR-T care um, so well. So, so kudos to you and your team for that. I think it's a huge piece of survivorship care. Thank you. So you also mentioned a little bit briefly in your um, handoff tool that you guys use, your template tool there, um, about kind of everyday life. And I know that in my life as a survivorship provider, sometimes those are the questions that take me off guard the most. It's just the everyday questions. What can I eat? Where can I travel? Interacting with kids. So I know those are hard because we oftentimes don't have robust evidence to support mm -hmm. specific things. How have you guys approached that at KU? I know that's a a challenging topic that we deal with at our yes. center. So how about for you guys? Oh, yes. We have a list of those questions that we get kind of, we, you know, we need to come up with a consist, consensus answer and make sure that we're all at least giving the same generalized information or because uh, I had a patient say, how often do you recommend that I wash the curtains in a room that he's never going to be going in? And I said, wow, <laughs> that is a very specific question. And I said, you know, if he's not going in there, I don't think you have to wash them a certain amount of times. But um, I said, you know, I always tell patients when in doubt, err on the side of caution. So they may not like that answer, but we don't know all of the things. And we know that their immune system is suppressed and that they are at higher risk for infection. So using their best judgment in those situations that there may be a higher risk um, for infection, for example, um, we have wood burning fire questions. We have hot tub and swimming pool questions, fishing, when can I scuba dive? We have all of those individualized, unique questions that are unique to that person. And we try to find out what's important for them. What do they want to get back to doing and kind of give them a general guideline. Now, oftentimes, if it's a specific, you know, I'll often say when we check these immune system markers, they will help guide, you know, and give us more confidence as we see these numbers increase over time. So some patients have a more robust recovery at their 100 days and they're looking really good. And then we have some that are still 
suppressed and it's not till six months and some are even longer. So I said, those markers really do help us guide some of those um, questions and things that they're wanting to do, but we don't always have the black and white answer, unfortunately. So when, when in doubt, err on the side of caution. I appreciate that. And I love that example of, you know, curtain washing. Um, I think anyone who has spent any time in long-term follow-up or survivorship care can relate to that question and any number of questions we've received. But I love that you centered it back to the patient. One, keeping them safe, but also figuring out what it is that they wanted to get back to, right? I always mm -hmm. frame this with my patients of, we did this to get you back to a high degree of quality of life. We we, we pursued these treatments to get you back to a high degree of quality of life and getting you back to doing the things you enjoy. So how do we do that safely? And how do we do that in a new way sometimes, you know, post CAR-T or post uh, transplant? So I love that you have some uh, frequently asked questions and you've approached it in a personalized approach because really there is no right, wrong, black, white answers in many of these questions. Mm -hmm. So are there any other pieces um, of this, you know, first year recommendations that you feel like we haven't had a chance to address that you guys um, use at KU? How about the primary care providers? Do yeah. you involve them? So that's a great question. Within that first 100 days of CAR-T, unless there's something specific that their car primary care manages that's going on that needs to be addressed, we really don't recommend them seeing their primary care that early on. Um, we typically will say after 100 days up to the first year, depending on how you're doing. You know, some primary cares would be very uncomfortable if their patient post-CAR-T just shows up and if they have a lot of complications or their counts are all out of whack, they may be uncomfortable with that. Um, so, and some patients are like, oh, I love my primary care. I wanna see them right as soon as I can. So I do say typically not till one, after 100 days, um, but when you do reestablish with your primary care, we do have, um, so, you know, a section in this template uh, that says primary sh care should include these specific testings um, and monitorings over time um, so that uh, when they do see the patient, they can see, okay, these are the things I should be looking at because sometimes um, primary care doctors might say, well, I'm not sure what I should be checking because they just have this treatment and what, I don't, what are they, what's already being checked, et cetera. Um, so we do send this care plan to primary care doctors. I'm not sure how, you know, we do that with the end of treatment and we also do it with all of our survivorship visits. So the end of treatment is kind of more preliminary. We don't necessarily expect the patient to see their primary care, but oftentimes at their first one year survivorship visit, I'll ask, have you reestablished with your primary care um, since CAR-T? And They'll say either yes or no. If they say no, I'll say, okay, well, this is definitely the time we want you to reestablish because it's important to stay up to date on your healthcare maintenance, your cancer screenings, um, et cetera. Um, and if they have, I'll say, okay, well, that's great. So just, and then I like to confirm who their primary care is, or if they don't have one, then that's where we talk about referral, et cetera. Perfect. Yeah, I think that's a critical piece of getting PCPs back involved, especially by that one year mark. I think mm -hmm. many patients feel comfortable and safe in our transplant and CAR-T bubbles at our cellular therapy and transplant teams, but it is critical, as you mentioned, to get them back in with primary care and getting those preventive services and health screenings that don't stop in a post-transplant or post-CAR-T patient. Exactly. Those exactly. recommendations are, are still important and sometimes even enhanced, and so we need 
the support of strong PCP care um, for this patient population. Definitely. Yeah, and the other so, part of uh, the the template I hadn't touched on is, you know, we talk about the late effects of chemo and side effects and what those are. And that's kind of when I loop in and talk about survivorship and tell them their first visit will be at one year um, and what to expect for that. Um, and then the then we end on a bunch of resources that we provide the patient before they go back to their primary oncologist or lo local providers um, so that we know that they have patient support group information, local resources, um, you know, and answer questions uh, as needed. Excellent. Excellent. So it sounds like you set them up for success at their end of treatment, which again, uh, at KU, that's at that day 30 evaluation time point post CAR-T. And you kind of send them on their way and you have all these screening parameters and then you see them again at one year. And so mm -hmm. let's take a moment. What are some of the things that are still persisting that you are commonly encountering at the one year survivorship visit? I would imagine most things have resolved themselves, but what are you seeing in your CAR-T survivorship as far as true late effects that are still persisting at one year? Definitely. It all, of course, varies from patient to patient. Um, but I will say there are some that seem to be more frequent than others. I think deconditioning post-treatment uh, is a big one. Uh, at one year, not everybody is exactly as physically fit and fully recovered as they would like to be. Um, I had a CAR-T patient recently who just said, yeah, I'm just a lot weaker than I was before CAR-T and I want to I feel stronger than I currently am. And she hadn't had any type of you know, cancer rehab or physical therapy or anything like that. And she really didn't have any obvious reasons necessarily to refer her before. Um, it's just one of those things that after evaluating over time, we're realizing that th I think she would benefit from that. Um, so I did refer her to um, a physical therapist, for example. Um, so that's, that's one that I feel like is not everybody's physically where they want to be. Cognitive changes, chemo brain, uh, especially if they had a lot of treatment even before CAR T, uh, that can be a big one. Uh, Absolutely, that's a huge. So one. assessing just their memory and their cognitive function, short-term memory loss or brain fog, um, you know, because that can certainly affect um, their day-to-day -day and can be surprising uh, to to many patients that it's still ongoing um, even a year and beyond. So addressing that, um, and then psychological concerns, I'll say, um, I'll ask them, do you have any psychological concerns post-treatment? Is anything lingering, anything going on? How are you doing? Going through treatment is so impactful, life-changing, big event. And uh, we often will find that there's lingering psychological concerns, um, and oftentimes I'll see that when patients are going through the acute beginning of their treatment, it's hard to process all of the things. So often, oftentimes I'll see in survivorship, these patients are finally processing everything's kind of settled around them, but they're like, whoa, what did I just go through? And, you know, what do I do and how do I navigate moving forward and integrate back into quote unquote normal life? Um, so that's one of the, another big one that I see fairly regularly. I think that's huge, and I'm glad you mentioned the you know psychosocial impact um, that these treatments can have on our patients. 
Um, I know at my center, we commonly employ social work as our support uh, system for psychosocial impact. Do you use uh, social work or psychiatry or psychology much at KU? Yes. Is it integrated into your care team? Um, so we work with social work and we kind of use them or we have them on speed dial. I feel like when I have patients who need <laughs> a, a car tag or handicap or disability paperwork, things like that, um, they're great resources to our patients. Um, so we definitely reach out to them whenever we need them. And each one of our patients is assigned a social worker for their CAR T. So we can tell who, who they were assigned to from the beginning of their treatment and they'll follow them forever pretty much. Um, and then we do have an oncology psych, uh, psych team that follows, they do evaluations before CAR T. So everyone who's had CAR T has met with them at least once. And then some of them have continued to through CAR T. Most of them haven't um, uh, necessarily, but one thing that we would love to have in survivorship and we're um, actually piloting right now is we have a, um, a, psych, a psychology fellow with us who's with us once a week on Mondays for a half day. And she's coming to the visits with us and she stays in at the end of our visit and kind of has a questionnaire and you know gets some questions, but it's kind of like a meet and greet, if you will. And she has her own clinic where she can um, set up patients to follow up with her for, you know, a full visit. So it's a nice way to get patients to get that psycho psychological care that they may not, um, if I say, well, would you be interested to talk to someone, this or that, and they say, oh, no, I'm okay, but this or that, well, but she's here right now. And um, so oftentimes with her being there, people will want to talk to her. Um, so we're excited to see how that develops uh, over the year. It just started two months ago. So, Awesome. What a great resource to kind of embed that into your program. And I think your patients will see some huge benefits from that pilot study. And I think it's important to note that every center will have their own ways to support patients um, psychosocially. And so I think the biggest piece of this is to recognize it as a common issue in our patient mm -hmm. population and to figure out what resources you have at your program, whether that's psychiatry, psychology, like you guys have at KU, a robust social work team, um, whatever that may look like. I think it's most important that we're recognizing it and we're helping to plug our patients into those resources early and often um, in their post-care journey. Definitely. Um, any other long-term late effects that you can think of that are, are, are common or things you're presenting or dealing with on a regular basis? One thing at the um, first survivorship visit at one year that I find often happens, I'll call it the kitchen sink. Um, it's kind of the catch-up year. So the patient went through treatment and they hadn't had their mammogram yet, or um, they haven't reestablished with the dentist yet, or you know, other healthcare, they haven't established routine skin cancer screenings. Um, they never have had a primary care doctor, but I guess they should have one now. Um, so these are the types of things at the one year that we really kind of outline um, all of our recommendations and anything that they are not current at, our goal is to get them current. So we will offer to either coordinate those things with our clinic or if they prefer to do them at, with their primary care, we make, you know, referral or recommendation list um, for these patients to have as their to-do list. Um, and our, I say, always say like, our goal is to have this list checked off. Uh, so when I see you next year, then we'll start fresh um, and not to be overwhelmed by that list because 
you know, the first year often is a catch-up year, and then the following years uh, often tend to be shorter, you know, and we can be more uh, uh, more focused, if you will. Uh, so I really just like to go over every body system. It's a comprehensive assessment, hit all of the things, check all of their cancer screenings, um, and get them set up with anything that they may need to get caught up on. Excellent. That's such a huge point too, is that these patients put off all of the other preventive care stuff oftentimes because they're mm -hmm. so busy with our post-CAR T or post-transplant follow-ups. And so I think you're hitting on an important point of just taking a moment and reminding them of all the important pieces of whole person care that you want to get them back in, into um, in the survivorship journey is, is critical. So I wanted to take a moment, and I think you've hit on a couple of points is that and I want to make this clear to you know the, the listeners is that CAR T survivorship is so new that it's I, I feel like it's ever evolving and it's something we're still establishing at our center. How have you all done as far as getting uh, utilization of getting your immunotherapy or your cell therapy teams to get them plugged into survivorship? What does that look like for you guys? Do you have any systems in place to help increase that? utilization? Yes, that's a very good question. I actually did a poster presentation at ASTCT this last February on this um, because we were um, realizing that we, we weren't capturing every eligible patient um, in our survivorship clinic uh, who's received CAR-T. We, we often would get their end of treatment um, done because we audit those and try to be 100% on that, but they wouldn't always come back at one year. So we were really looking at that um, and there's a lot of factors. Education is a big piece and, you know, making sure that our staff is well educated on the importance of survivorship. We realize, wow, we need to get buy-in from all of our teams. Uh, we have four teams that take care of CAR-T patients. So um, educating the nurses, going to their nurse meetings um, and giving education on survivorship, why it's important. And uh, also, um, the physicians and nurse practitioners, because we these patients are following with them for the first 30 days. And they're going to say, what's this end of treatment visit? And what's a survivorship visit on my schedule? Do I really need to go to that? And we want them all to feel confident, say, yes, this is what this visit is and explain it to them. And that's going to make them feel like, oh, this is an important visit. I need to go to this. Increasing utilization to telehealth was another one because uh, we realized, you know, not everyone wants to come to clinic for an extra visit. And these visits um, are very easy to do on telehealth, actually, um, as long as the patient is comfortable with using telehealth. So we actually optimize um, our, we've actually definitely had a lot more, especially our out-of-town patients, compliance with these visits ever since we started offering telehealth. And then we've also um, been working on working with the schedulers and the workflows, making sure that everyone knows when these visits should be scheduled. Um, and we actually just got a new uh, scheduling system where it's going to be embedded into the orders pre-CAR-T um, and it'll be checked. And then if it falls off, it just goes back into a queue to get rescheduled. So we're really excited about that one because it's less likely to fall through the cracks. And then uh, we also collaborated with our inpatient patient education specialists because we have patients who get admitted during their CAR-T and they'll, they may ask, 
their nurses, well, what's the survivorship visit after my discharge? I don't think I need to go to that, do I? And they can say, oh, that's what this is. And just, we tried to cover all the bases with education. Um, we also added an education piece for the patient education class that they have pre-CAR-T. Um, so there's a whole sur- survivorship section. So they are told even before their CAR-T that you're going to have these visits moving forward. So um, education was the big piece of it. And then utilizing telehealth and then establishing firm scheduling and referral patterns to make sure that we're capturing all eligible patients. Uh, those are some of the big things that we did uh, to look at, you know, increasing our access. And we've definitely seen our numbers go up. Um, so we're really excited to see back at our numbers in a year from now um, and see that hopefully learn uh, that things are continuing to increase access for our patients. Um, and uh, patients really do tend to like our visits. It's a great time for them to ask questions that they may not have thought to ask at their other quick visits uh, in clinic. And we address a lot of different topics that they don't address in their quick clinic visits. So it's a good time to um, share with that with the patients and answer any questions they have. Thanks for sharing that, Sarah. I think you're hitting on the important piece of survivorship utilization is that you really have to approach it from a multi-pronged attack to get the utilization rates up. Because as you and I know, we're obviously biased, but survivorship care is critical and you hit on the piece that patients find such value in it. Um, And so I love that you guys are hitting it from patient education, staff education, provider education, and then implementing system structures, whether that's the scheduling or telehealth to make sure that this is a a care model that's being used by as many patients as possible. Um, So I love that. And I I can't wait to see hopefully your data, your follow-up data at an upcoming tandem, you know, in the future of how well these uh, systems have improved survivorship care at your center. Um, And and like I mentioned, and like you said, you know, patients get such value out of this. And I think there's rarely a survivorship visit, if ever, that we don't get to uncover something, whether a physical diagnosis Mm -hmm. or psychosocial diagnosis, that we get to provide support for these patients who have such huge unmet needs um, currently. So Sarah, I think I, I just wanted to take a moment. Is there any last pieces of conversation or topics that you wanted to mention regarding CAR-T survivorship. I think we've had a great conversation about what this looks like in the first year and beyond. Is there anything else you'd like to add? Yeah, um, no, I've really enjoyed talking with you. And I just think, you know, in c- continuing to do what we're doing and spread the word of survivorship for patients, I do think it's becoming more of a um, understood visit type and what what the purpose of is and I'm I'm excited to see how things continue to evolve in survivorship care for patients uh, and as we continue to learn um, more and more, more about CAR-T we'll continue to modify and evolve as we learn because um, this is an evolving <laughs> evolving treatment of course as we learn more and more over time. Absolutely. I think you hit it on the head is that this is um, such critical stuff that we need to be taking care of for our patients and it's ever evolving. And so thank you for sharing um, what you guys are doing, the important work you're doing at the University of Kansas and sharing your CAR-T survivorship model with us. I hope this was an opportunity for other programs to stop and think of how can they implement their own CAR-T survivorship program if they don't already. 
Um, and so hopefully this will kickstart some great conversations within the survivorship community about formalizing CAR-T survivorship recommendations and programs and how we can best care for this population. So Sarah, again, thank you. I've really enjoyed having this conversation and, and getting to hear about the wonderful program you guys have built there at the University of Kansas. Thank you for having me. It was a pleasure. Thank you for listening to this episode of ASTCT Talks. Never miss an episode. Subscribe and provide reviews wherever you listen to podcasts. To learn more about ASTCT, find us on Twitter, Facebook, LinkedIn, or visit ASTCT.org.